Chapter Two B of Memoirs of Napoleon, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kachabodiu. Memoirs of Napoleon, Volume One by Louis de Bourrienne. Chapter Two B. Some documents relative to Bonaparte's suspension and arrest by order of the representatives Albit and Salicetti serve to place in their true light circumstances which have hitherto been misrepresented. I shall enter into some details of this event, because I have seen it stated that the circumstance of Bonaparte's life has been perverted and misrepresented by every person who has hitherto written about him and the writer who makes this remark himself describes the affair incorrectly and vaguely others have attributed bonaparte's misfortune to a military discussion on war in his connection with robespierre the younger note it will presently be seen that all this is erroneous and that sir walter commits another mistake when he says that bonaparte's connection with robespierre was attended with fatal consequences to him and that his justification consisted in acknowledging that his friends were very different from what he had supposed them to be Bourrienne. end of note it has moreover been said that albit and salicetti explained to the committee of public safety the impossibility of their resuming the military operations unaided by the talents of general bonaparte this is mere flattery the facts are these on the thirteenth of july seventeen ninety four twenty fifth of messidor year two the representatives of the people with the army of italy ordered that general bonaparte should proceed to genoa there conjointly with the french charge d'affaires to confer on certain subjects with the genoese government this mission together with a list of secret instructions directing him to examine the fortresses of genoa and the neighbouring country show the confidence which bonaparte who was then only twenty-five inspired in men who were deeply interested in making a prudent choice of their agents Bonaparte set off for Genoa and fulfilled his mission. The ninth of Thermidor arrived, and the deputies, called terrorists, were superseded by Albit and Salicetti. In the disorder which then prevailed, they were either ignorant of the orders given to General Bonaparte, or persons envious of the rising glory of the young general of artillery inspired Albit and Salicetti with suspicions prejudicial to him. Be this as it may, the two representatives drew up a resolution ordering that general bonaparte should be arrested suspended from his rank and arraigned before the committee of public safety and extraordinary as it may appear this resolution was founded in that very journey to genoa which bonaparte executed by the direction of the representatives of the people Note. madame genoux throws some light on this persecution of bonaparte by salicetti one motive i do not mean to say the only one remarks this lady of the animosity shown by salicetti to bonaparte in the affair of loano was that they were at one time suitors to the same lady i am not sure whether it was in corsica or in paris but i know for a fact that bonaparte in spite of his youth or perhaps i should rather say on account of his youth was the favoured lover 
It was the opinion of my brother, who was secretary to Salicetti, that Bonaparte owed his life to a circumstance which is not very well known. The fact is that Salicetti received a letter from Bonaparte, the contents of which appeared to make a deep impression on him. Bonaparte's papers had been delivered into Salicetti's hands, who, after an attentive perusal of them, laid them aside with evident dissatisfaction. He then took them up again, and read them a second time. Salicetti declined my brother's assistance in the examination of the papers, and after a second examination, which was probably as unsatisfactory as the first, he seated himself with a very abstracted air. It would appear that he had seen among the papers some document which concerned himself. Another curious fact is that the man who had the care of the papers after they were sealed up was an inferior clerk entirely under the control of Salicetti, and my brother, whose business it was to have charge of the papers, was directed not to touch them. He has often spoken to me of this circumstance, and I mention it here as one of importance to the history at the time. Nothing that relates to a man like Napoleon can be considered useless or trivial. What, after all, was the result of the strange business which might have cost Bonaparte's head? For, had it been taken to Paris and tried by the Committee of Public Safety, there was little doubt that the friend of Robespierre the Younger would have been condemned by Biovarenne and Collot d'Herbois. The result was the acquittal of the accused. This result is the more extraordinary, since it would appear that at that time Salicetti stood in fear of the young general. A compliment is even paid to Bonaparte in the decree by which he was provisionally restored to liberty. That liberation was said to be granted on the consideration that General Bonaparte might be useful to the Republic. This was foresight, but subsequently when measures were taken which rendered Bonaparte no longer an object of fear, his name was erased from the list of general officers, and it is a curious fact that Cambaceres, who was destined to be his colleague in the consulate, was one of the persons who signed the act of erasure. Memoirs of the Duchesse d'Abrantès, Volume 1, page 69, edition of 1843. End of note. Bonaparte said at St. Helena that he was a short time imprisoned by order of the representative Laporte, but the order for his arrest was signed by Albitte, Salicetti, and Laporte. Note. Albitte and Laporte were the representatives sent from the convention to the army of the Alps, and Salicetti to the army of Italy. End of note. Laporte was not probably the most influential of the three, for Bonaparte did not address his remonstrance to him. He was a fortnight under arrest. Had the circumstance occurred three weeks earlier, and had Bonaparte been arraigned before the Committee of Public Safety previous to the ninth of Thermidor, there is every probability that his career would have been at an end, and we should have seen perish on the scaffold, at the age of twenty-five, the man who, during the twenty-five succeeding years, was destined to astonish the world by his vast conceptions, his gigantic projects, his great military genius, his extraordinary good fortune, his faults, reverses, and final misfortunes. It is worth while to remark that the, in the post-Thermidorian resolution just alluded to, no mention is made of Bonaparte's association with Robespierre the Younger. The severity with which he was treated is the more astonishing, since his mission to Genoa was the alleged cause of it. 
Was there any other charge against him, or had calumny triumphed over the services he had rendered to his country? I have frequently conversed with him on the subject of this adventure, and he invariably assured me that he had nothing to reproach himself with, and that his defence, which I shall subjoin, contained the pure expression of his sentiments, and the exact truth. In the following note, which he addressed to Albit and Salicetti, he makes no mention of Laporte. The copy which I possess is in the handwriting of Junot, with corrections in the general's hand. It exhibits all the characteristics of Napoleon's writing. His short sentences, his abrupt rather than concise style, sometimes his elevated ideas, and always his plain good sense. To the representatives Albit and Salicetti. You have suspended me from my duties, put me under arrest, and declared me to be suspected. Thus I am disgraced before being judged, or indeed judged, before being heard. In a revolutionary state there are two classes, the suspected and the patriots. When the first are aroused, general measures are adopted towards them for the sake of security. The oppression of the second class is a blow to public liberty. The magistrate cannot condemn until after the fullest evidence and a succession of facts. This leaves nothing to arbitrary decision. To declare a patriot suspected is to deprive him of all that he most highly values, confidence and esteem. In what class am I placed? Since the commencement of the revolution, have I not always been attached to its principles? Have I not always been contending either with domestic enemies or foreign foes? I sacrificed my home, abandoned my property, and lost everything for the Republic. I have since served with some distinction at Toulon, and earned a part of the laurels of the army of Italy at the taking of Saorgio, Onei, and Tanaro. On the discovery of Robespierre's conspiracy, my conduct was that of a man accustomed to look only to principles. My claim to the title of patriot, therefore, cannot be disputed. Why, then, am I declared suspected without being heard, and arrested eight days after I heard the news of the tyrant's death? I am declared suspected, and my papers are placed under seal. The reverse of this course ought to have been adopted. My papers should first have been sealed. Then I should have been called on for my explanation, and, lastly, declared suspected, if there was reason for coming to such a decision. It is wished that I should go to Paris with an order which declares me suspected. It will naturally be presumed that the representatives did not draw up this decree without accurate information, and I shall be judged with the bias which a man of that class merits. Though a patriot and an innocent and calumniated man, yet whatever measures may be adopted by the committee I cannot complain. If three men declare that I have committed a crime, I cannot complain of the jury who condemns me. Salicetti, you know me, and I ask whether you have observed anything in my conduct for the last five years which can afford ground of suspicion. Albit, you do not know me. But you have received proof of no fact against me. You have not heard me, and you know how artfully the tongue of calumny sometimes works. 
Must I then be confounded with the enemies of my country, and ought the patriots inconsiderately to sacrifice a general who has not been useless to the Republic? Ought the representatives to reduce the government to the necessity of being unjust and impolitic? Hear me. Destroy the oppression that overwhelms me, and restore me to the esteem of the patriots. An hour after, if my enemies wish for my life, let them take it. I have often given proofs how little I value it. Nothing but the thought that I may yet be useful to my country makes me bear the burden of existence with courage. It appears that this defence, which is remarkable for its energetic simplicity, produced an effect on Albit and Salicetti. Inquiries more accurate, and probably more favourable to the general, were instituted. And on the 3rd of Fructidor, 20th of August, 1794, the representatives of the people drew up a decree stating that, after a careful examination of General Bonaparte's papers, and of the orders he had received relative to his mission to Genoa, they saw nothing to justify any suspicion of his conduct, and that, moreover, taking into consideration the advantage that might accrue to the Republic from the military talents of the said General Bonaparte, it was resolved that he should be provisionally set at liberty. Note. With reference to the arrest of Bonaparte, which lasted thirteen days, see Bourienne's Erreur, tome 1, pages 16 to 28, and Jung, tome 2, pages 443 to 457. Both in opposition to Bourienne, attribute the arrest to his connection with the younger Robespierre. Apparently, Albit and Salicetti were not acquainted with the secret plan of campaign prepared by the younger Robespierre and by Bonaparte, or with the real instructions given for the mission to Genoa. Jealousy between the representatives and the staff of the army of the Alps and those with the army of Italy, with which Napoleon was, also played a part in the affair. Jung looks on Salicetti as acting as the protector of the Bonapartes. But Napoleon does not seem to have regarded him in that light. See the letter given in Junot, volume 1, page 106, where in 1795 he takes credit for not returning the ill done to him. See also the same volume, page 89. Salicetti eventually became minister of police to Joseph when king of Naples in 1806. But when he applied to return to France, Napoleon said to Mathieu Dumas, Let him know that I am not powerful enough to protect the wretches who voted for the death of Louis XVI from the contempt and indignation of the public. Dumas, tome 3, page 318. At the same time, Napoleon described Salicetti as worse than the Lazzaroni. End of note. Salicetti afterwards became the friend and confidant of young Bonaparte, but their intimacy did not continue after his elevation. What is to be thought of the motives for Bonaparte's arrest and provisional liberation when his innocence and the error that had been committed were acknowledged? The importance of the general's military talents, though no mention is made about the impossibility of dispensing with them, is a pretense for restoring him to that liberty of which he had been unjustly deprived. It was not at Toulon, as has been stated, that Bonaparte took Duroc into the artillery and made him aide de camp. Note. Michel Duroc, 
1773 to 1813, at first only aide-de-camp to Napoleon, was several times entrusted with special diplomatic missions, for example, to Berlin, etc. On the formation of the empire he became Grand Maréchal du Palais and Duc de Frioul. He always remained in close connection with Napoleon until he was killed in 1813. As he is often mentioned in contemporary memoirs under his abbreviated title of Marshal, it has sometimes been erroneously included in a number of the Marshals of the Empire, a military rank he never attained to. End of note. The acquaintance was formed at the subsequent period in Italy. Duroc's cold character and unexcursive mind suited Napoleon, whose confidence he enjoyed until his death and who entrusted him with missions perhaps above his abilities. At St. Helena, Bonaparte often declared that he was much attached to Duroc. I believe this to be true, but I know that the attachment was not returned. The ingratitude of princes is proverbial. May it not happen that courtiers are also sometimes ungrateful? Note. It is only just to Duroc to add that this charge does not seem borne out by the impressions of those more capable than Bourrienne of judging in the matter. End of note. End of chapter 2b. Recording by Katia Boudiou.